Welcome to Fostering Our Faith podcast. Today's guest, Tara Sundum, is the founder of Hushabai Nursery, who is treating some of the most vulnerable victims of the long-running U.S. opioid crisis, newborn babies. The facility treats babies with neonatal abstinence syndrome, a condition similar to withdrawal that develops when babies essentially become addicted in the womb. Babies with NAS can tremble uncontrollably, clenching muscles, and gasping for breath. Listen in as Tara tells her vulnerable story and how she started this amazing facility. Tara, welcome to Fostering Our Faith podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. So we have had over 20 foster children. And I think, and my husband and I think the same, that our, our last was definitely our hardest. He was born with NAS, which for those of you who do not know, is neonatal abstinence syndrome. He was born addicted to opioids. Um, and I always get these confused, but I know heroin is um, cocaine. Um, but also it, there was marijuana, there was alcohol, there was other things there as well. But he went through two weeks of pretty severe withdrawals in the NICU nursery. So when I came across Hushabye Baby, I was so excited to see the other side of this. So sadly for our case, Chuck Schumer is actually on record about our county, specifically Dutchess County in New York. From 2018 to 2019, we had a 1000% increase in NAS babies. Sadly, the majority of them are being abandoned at the hospital with the mother back out in the streets within an hour, a couple hours. And this was before the pandemic. So it's only increased. So let me ask you, Tara, what was your first interaction with a baby born with NAS and how did Hushabai Nursery come about? Um, my first interaction would have been a, as a bedside nurse. Babies, I worked in the neonatal intensive care unit and and taking care of these little ones for 12 hours a day was really, really hard. And and I tell everyone this and being completely transparent, just to be transparent, they're so hard that you, I would take care of them. And the next day I made sure I got there early to work and said, I already did my part and asked for a different assignment. Not fair. That's how it was. They're so hard. And my heart was not there. Um, I, that, that was not my baby of choice. Somehow it's changed, but just a little bit of my journey. Um, in 2015, we started seeing more and more of these babies, um, just influxing uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And babies did really good at certain times of the day with certain nurses. So beginning of my career, I was probably one of those nurses that baby didn't do very well because I just did not have the love. Babies can tell if you have the patience and and want to be there. Um, I think I was one of those nurses that the babies probably didn't do good with at that time. Um, but certain times of day, you would see babies get additional medication to get them through the withdrawal process. But then other times of the day, they did great. Um, depending on how busy the NICU was versus if it was quiet and there were only a few babies in there. Um, and then I had one mom explain to me withdrawals being the worst flu and migraine times a hundred. And I went, oh my gosh, when I have the flu, I don't go to a rock concert. I, you know, go in my room, close the door, shut off the lights and hope I fall asleep. And when I wake up, I feel better. And 
when I look at our babies, when they're going through that withdrawal process, we see the exact same symptoms as the flu, vomiting, diarrhea, fever, chills, inability to sleep, irritability. I mean, all of those things. I'm like, oh my gosh, that, that is totally what we see. Um, and that aha moment of that mommy telling me that that's how it was. And I'm like, and we have babies in here that are right beside a baby that's, you know, coding or we're doing admissions and it's very loud. And yeah, the baby's crying and we're like, oh my gosh, the baby's crying, he's withdrawing, needs more medication versus going, this is not a good environment. And so knew that we could do better. Um, heard about Lily's place in West Virginia and they had taken the babies out of the NICU out of necessity of the community and put them at Lily's place and their focus baby baby is their focus it wasn't so much the family system at that time they're growing and getting getting more in, involved but back then it was let's help the NICU let's do what's best for these babies and and put them in a quiet dark environment and we went and visited and we're like oh yeah I think we we could do this but didn't for sure know that we could until one day I'm in the NICU and I, at this time I'm, I'm a nurse practitioner and one of the nurses mom comes in to the nursery her baby had had a really hard night and honestly we just finally got him to sleep and she walked in and she's washing her hands first thing you do when you come in the NICU and she's looking over her baby and she's so excited smiling and um you know kind of like oh okay I'm gonna go hold him and and see what's going on and the nurse looked at her and pointed at her and said don't touch your baby and that uh, the words were already out like I couldn't couldn't make that how do you make that better and so I went over and I'm talking to the mom and I'm like really he he needs you here he just fell asleep please 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 stay we, he he definitely needs you here. And mom was struggling with substance use, but at the time she was she seemed appropriate. And she went and sat down by her baby. She did not touch him because the nurse told her not to. Um, she sat there for half an hour, baby slept. And truly, I think babies can tell when their loved ones are near near them. And I went over and I'm trying to go, he must know you're here. Please stay. When he wakes up, he's going to need you. This is amazing. Please, you're doing what you're supposed to do. And um, an hour later, he still was sleeping. And when she left, she never came back that day. We had the opportunity when she came in to make it that we could have possibly gotten her into recovery. We could have possibly, you know, um, helped her parents successfully. There was, it was just like a trajectory moment that we lost and we missed it. And I don't know where that mom is to this day. And I think about it all the time. And that little baby is six years old now. And what, where is he? Is he, I mean, he went to foster care. Is he struggling? Is, I don't know. So that was my aha. Something has to be done. We, our babies deserve it. Our community deserves it. And if he were my little one and, and say that was my daughter that I had to do tough love and be like not engaged, I would hope that there would be a hush abide that would be there and just go, we're not going to judge you. We're here for you. What can we help you with? 
you just need a bottle of water, we'll give you a bottle of water. Let's do that. And how are you today? Um, if, if you need um, housing, if you need food, are you ready for recovery? Let's let's meet you where you're at. A lot of times we just need to meet basic needs, housing, food, transportation. After we get those, then we can start dealing with recovery. But to tell someone to get into recovery, but they're on the streets, only way to survive the streets is to be using. It's really hard. I mean, it's hopeless. Wow. So, I mean, and it's, I love when these things happen because like you and I have never spoken before. Um, and we had such a similar instance. So, you know, we're told about Roman and we go into the NICU. He's laying there so peaceful and I'm confused because I'm like, you know, I'm picturing the withdrawals. I'm picturing the shaking and the crying. And I'm like, this is weird. He's like sleeping so peacefully. Then they tell me he's on medication. Mor morphine. Is it morphine? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I'm like, okay, well then that makes sense. And the nurse said to me, no, I'm sorry. One nurse said to me, skin to skin, you need to do skin to skin. And another nurse came up and said, no, don't touch him. He's sleeping. And she also said, she's the foster mom. So I don't know if that's really appropriate. And the other nurse jumped in and was like, no, she's the only mom that's here right now. And so many moons later, you know, Roman is now six months old and Roman has to wear a helmet because the back of his head is so flat from laying for two weeks in the NICU without anybody holding him. Because every time we went in there, we were told, no, don't wake him up. No, don't wake him up. That that was missed. You know, that that bonding was missed and so much of that. Um, so that is I 100 percent. Wow. Um, th that got me, but I want to thank you, first of all, for your openness and your honesty. You know, I think that it's, it's refreshing <laughs> to hear somebody say like, I was not good at this, you know, and I did not like this. And cause it, it's not a pretty situation. It's really like heart wrenching to see. And what we saw later was when Roman came off the morphine, you know, the shaking and the crying and, you know, the sneezing, which was weird. Um, you know, we had to count as sneezes and like all these weird things, um, but like you said, you are offering hope, plain and simple. And I think that sometimes there's a stigmatization that follows parents who struggle with opioid addiction and even like the like fetal alcohol syndrome, and it offers little to no hope. So can you talk a little bit about what a typical stay looks like at Hushabai Nursery and how you support these women, even through CPS cases? Yeah. Um well, the very first thing when we see a mom or a dad is we say congratulations. I don't care if they're high. I don't care they had a baby or they're pregnant, whatever that is. Um, we're just here to meet them where they're at. And I know I've talked to so many families, like they're scared to walk in the door. And they leave us in tears going, why did I not come in earlier? I should have come in earlier. And we don't realize like the courage that it takes to always put yourself in a situation to be judged because they know they don't look healthy. They know that, you know, people are going to look at them like, okay, you're on the streets or you obviously aren't under the influence. 
to be judged every day, day in and day out, wherever you're at. Um, when they walk in, congratulations, babies are fun. I know they're little ones. These, it's, it's not a great situation, but babies are to be celebrated and our families don't get to do that. And so if they're pregnant, telling them, I'm so glad you reached out and congratulations and your cute belly and, and normalize the situation, which it, it is a normal situation with a chronic illness on top of. And so let's just work with that. Um, and then when the families do come in, helping them realize, like, look at what you're doing for your baby. Like, if I can teach families what I know, I've taken care of babies for 30 years. I am a baby whisperer. But if I can teach families how to do what I do, that baby responds way more to them than to me. And when that happens, for us to go, oh my gosh, do you see, you know, usually you finally get them quiet. And I'm like, do you see what you're doing? He was not responding. And you get them to go, I, maybe I am the best medicine. Maybe moms really are the best medicine. Maybe I'm doing one thing right. And you give them that little glimpse of here's a little flicker. And when you see that, I always tell families, I just want a little win, a little W. And pretty soon those little W's grow up into a great big win. And if that great big win is I get you to treatment, wonderful. If that great big win is you came back yesterday after I know that you probably went in and used, but you came back today, that's a huge, huge win. Um, if that's babies going to foster care, DCS has been there and now they're going, oh my gosh. And the win is that you didn't go and use that you went, okay, I'm going to go to treatment. Nope. I'm going to go to my, you know, meeting today. I'm going to do this check-in, whatever that is. But, um, giving, just being kind, I guess is, is what we do. I treat them the way Treat our families, treat everyone the way you would want to be treated or your loved one to be treated. That's that's what I looked at. Um, and I, I truly think that my staff look at it that way. Not saying at times we don't go, ooh, and then you're like, boy, you're not being trauma-informed at all. We all have to check ourselves because we I mean, everybody has moments. We don't mean to hurt people's feelings for the most part, but um being cognizant. But we, we work with families with Department of Child Safety or Child Welfare prenatally and postpartum all the way through whatever they need us. Um, prenatally, just preparing them, helping them understand what DCS is going to need, um, helping them understand Department of Child Safety. Safety. Number one, they have the exact same goal. Your number two goal, I tell parents, I'm like, you want number one, your baby to be healthy. Number two, you want your baby to be safe. DCSs, that's what we call them here in Arizona, their number one goal is child safety. That's mom and dad's number two goal. And number two goal for DCS is keeping families unified. And so when we help families understand that they're just making sure your baby's safe, and maybe right now when you're unwell, meaning you're struggling with substance use, maybe you're not well enough to know that you're not that safe place. 
but helping them understand that it really is the the same goal. And if you, if they listen to us and they start with the relationship trusting, meaning I used fentanyl five minutes before I delivered. When DCS comes in and they say, I did, I did, I need help. I obviously, I need help. I want a parent, help me. Our child welfare system has resources and we need to delve into them. And so really teaching families that, do not lie, tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. That is what I want you to start with. I have never been in a DCS meeting that when my families tell the truth, that the moderator, I don't even know what they call them, the, the main person leading the meeting um, doesn't say, I appreciate your honesty. That is, it sets the tone for the case for this entire family. I kind of call it, I don't call it just a baby case. I call the whole family, it's their case. Um, it changes the tone and unification ends up being what we're looking at. Our goal is not, oh my gosh, this mom is unwell. She's not, it's how do we get this mom well? How do we get it so she does have the resources so she can parent and so that baby can go back into the home? And if we can't get mom well, and that isn't what is going to happen, and that's not in the cards, how do we make it that in nine months, we're not in the same situation with another baby? What, you know, what resources can we help you with? We get it right now. You're not there. And, and, but, but let's, let's do a, a little bit more um, planning and uh, let's, let's give you a win for being responsible. I mean, that's like literally beautiful. And I'm bringing this back to what you said about trauma because it's a two-way street, right? So this baby has spent nine months in this womb getting to know his mother, her voice, you know, the sounds around this, even like, you know, the smells when he comes out and things like that, like that's, that's mom. And there's been cases where like, you know, babies are able to like identify their mom, like very, very early just by sound and smell, which is incredible. So when this baby is removed, even as a newborn, there is some trauma to this baby that is done, but also to the mother. <laughs> And so I think that so often in foster care, that's like a, you know, and I hear people say like, oh, congratulations, you're doing foster care. And I'm like, no, <laughs> let's not say congratulations. Um, and so you have what you call mom is the treatment. And I mean, and, and, and we're talking about like foster care here, like not foster mom, birth mom is the treatment, even though birth mom might like have some issues, she's still the best option. And, you know, knowing my kids that I've had in foster care, I 100% agree with that. Even myself being in foster care, like I would have rather stayed in my dysfunction than have gone into like the Bel Air situation that I did. Um, I just, I, it was just a better situation for me. And so the mom is the treatment. Um, what do you mean by that? And how does that play out? I think when you look at attachment, just from prenatally, when babies are are inside you they're they're supposed to be with their moms um and and i mean it goes along with brain development and and how later on um you're going to be able to interact and and build relationships and have bound bonding that happens early on and so 
if you look at that and you truly look at trauma, um, it does something to the brain. And we know that it does. If you look at adverse childhood experiences, um, and I don't know if, if everyone understands that, but I didn't understand adverse childhood experiences after being a nurse for over 20 years. Never learned about if bad things happen to you before the age of 18, that it actually changes your brain and it leads to chronic illness 50, 60 years down the road. No idea. Well, our babies that are born substance exposed are born with two adverse childhood experiences, minimum. There's mental health issues and there's substance use. That's two. Usually there's poverty, there's domestic violence, there's other type of abuse. The number four is the magic number. If you're four or more adverse childhood experiences, we have set this child up just by being born for chronic illness, meaning we're probably going to see this cyclical go on unless we get this baby the intervention that they need. And that intervention should include getting the family well and the goal with let's mitigate that adverse childhood experience. Let's make it that, um, yeah, you know, they went into your care, Angela, you took care of them in the time that mom was getting well and you were fostering. Um, I, I have a really uh, board member that fosters and, it, and it, I think foster a lot of times um, goes different ways, but I, they phrased it to the fact of that you're fostering the family and we're fostering, you know, this is a temp, it's supposed to be temporary while they're getting well and we're stepping in. That's the, that's the goal initially. Um, and if we all kind of think that way and you really look biologically, physiologically, the research says that moms are the best medicine. Moms are, and I say this, moms and dads, um, biological, right, are, are what these little ones need. Again, not always can they. Sometimes they are too unwell to do it. But you, us as a community, never ever know when that right aha moment's going to be that they go, I'm ready. And when they say they're ready, we need to be able to jump and get them the care that they're ready for. Because that window can be 10 minutes. It can be two minutes. We have to be able to move, chop, chop, and get them into treatment, whatever they're open to at that moment. And also for us to all know that what they have is a brain disease. They have a chronic illness. And... It's scary to think that you're going to go through withdrawal. Think of when you know that you have the flu. I personally, you give me something and it's going to make it immediately better when I don't feel good. Uh, and to know, you know, if, if you're thinking that, like you're withdrawing from fentanyl, you know that you just do one thing and immediately, immediately you're better. How do we all not get that when it's dumbed down that much it's like I totally get it and I've seen my families withdraw and when they do it's just I, instead of judging them it's just like you're really struggling right now and usually you know the tears come and they're like I hurt so bad 
And when you hear that, it's like, let us help. And I get it. I get when they, when they um, go out and, and have to use, I get it. I always want them to be, to use safely. We give all of our families Narcan. We teach them how to use it. We teach their loved ones how to use it um, because we know that the struggle's real. And to just think that, oh, they're just going to go cold turkey and everything's going to be good. It's not that way. It isn't. And um, it's a process. And I I always tell loved ones, you know, significant others to my families that are struggling that um, they, they're where they are. You know, they, many are fed up and they've done the tough love. And, and I'm like, you know what, we've got them. Let, let my team see what we can do. You step back, get yourself healthy because it's so stressful on, a, on you know, family, extended family. I can't imagine um, what families go through, but let us do that. And if it were my boys that were struggling, I would hope that one of my teammates would run into them and say the right words at the right time. And maybe we'll get them well that, they can parent. And we see that all the time. I had a mom that had three severances and um, came here and was unwell when she first came here. Very, very unwell. Um, first three days, we were a hotel and food. Truly, that is all we were. Um, I've never seen a mom eat more ever, ever, ever. And um, never really paid attention to the bassinet or their little man. And we're all like, oh gosh, this is going to be a long, long, long stay because her baby really did struggle. And third night in the middle of the night, we hear, hear him crying and my nurses go in and mom has him picked up, changing a diaper, like looks at the staff like, I got it. And they were like, you haven't even looked at him. We haven't seen you even engaged at all. And that next morning, um, my staff tells me, they're like, if you can tell that mom to come back, it would be great because she was amazing. And it was the first time that her little man, that next day I was able to turn down, decrease his morphine. And it, it was because she was engaged, like she could get him settled. And um, that day, I'm very frank with my clients. I mean, there's no beating around the bush. I'm not judging them. But I told her um, that next day, I'm like, I'm so proud of you. And she like got tears in her eyes. And I'm like, she's like, what? And I'm like, I am amazed by you. Look at how he's responding to you. And then here come the tears. And she's like, and I'm like, please stay. Please keep doing what you're doing. He needs you. And then she, you know, you could tell she started to trust a little bit. And she was kind of getting there. And then I was just like, and could you not do what you didn't do yesterday, today? And she looks at me and kind of like, <laughs> and I'm like, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And her baby is, gosh, or I think in August, he turns two. Um, they're well. She hasn't used since that day three. She needed housing and food and safety. Baby was out of home for 19 months. It took that long because she had three severances before. She had to prove herself. We went to court. I've 
written letter after letter. He's where he needs to be and he's safe and he's thriving and doing well. And when I ask her, what was the difference between him and your other three? And she goes, well, with other three, and I think all four, actually, I think she used on site at the hospital. I'm, I'm pretty sure because she could, they could, they would let her visit for 30 minutes a day with security there. And she said, well, the other three, I'm on my, out on the streets and it was during the summer. So it's 110 degrees here and we didn't have transportation. And for me to get to the hospital was this many buses. And then it was for 30 minutes. And when I left him every time at 30 minutes, he would cry. And she's like, he was, they were better off without me. And so with this little one, she was like, oh no, I knew I was best for him. I bonded with him. I was here. And when that little one went to foster care, we knew the plan was, and, and just for your listeners to hear how really right it can go, um, the day before he was ready to be discharged, we had talked to our Department of Child Safety and we had a great worker. And um, I was like, "Can the, I need this foster mom to come in and meet him and know how to take care of him because he's hard. I'm like, he's not just easy. And um, they said, okay, well, we'll do that. They gave us her number and I called and I said, I have a big ask and I, I, you can say yes or no. And I called her and asked her, would you meet mom and dad? She was like, uh, no, no, I won't. And I'm like, okay. I said, they're doing really well and they've worked really hard. They are homeless. They are going to treatment as soon as he goes to you and they understand. They just would love to tell you how, he, how they parented him and, and know where he's going. And she was like, no. And I said, I totally get it. I've never seen that in 30 years. So I get it. It's, it's fine. And an hour later, she calls back and she goes, yep, I'll meet him. I, I will. And she came down to Heshabai that night, spent four hours with mom and dad. And we only had, we only had three babies in our unit at that time. So we put them in the little family room, made the lights still dim. And the parents told her, this is what he likes. No, this is why he's doing that. This is what, and they stopped to parents. And on that discharge the next day, he was our longest baby that had been with us. And so everybody was very bonded to him and mom and dad. And the next day he was he was leaving and we were all like, oh my God, you're taking my... And so everybody was crying and we, we walked out and the plan was mom said she would go to treatment, but dad needed to get into treatment first. And dad said, okay, I'm going to go 9 a.m. We had an intake form at one of the residential treatments and we got him there and they called and they're like, nope, he's here. He's staying. Mom's like, okay, then I'm going to go because she was very much had to care for him is what she felt. And that's just where, where they were in their relationship. And um, so at noon, she's ready, ready to go. And we're like, okay, foster mom's there and they're, you know, doing their love stuff. And we um, put him in his car seat and put him in, in her car and, all of us are crying. We're like, oh my gosh, take our baby. And um, mom gets into her transportation to go to the treatment center and she's getting locked in and the foster mom goes up to birth mom and she's like, get out of the car. And we're like watching and she's like, get out. 
And the so the bio mom gets gets out. And the foster mom just hugs her. And she's like, I have your little one. You go get well for him. So then everybody's in tears. And I'm like, this is the way it should be for her to know that he was safe. And she sent them pictures every night. They FaceTimed every night, I think for 19 months. And they got to parents with, I mean, his, I, I just think his family is so much more than just his little family. He's got that extended family and families, you never know what families look like these days. And to see them succeed, they work, they have their own apartment, they pay for their own apartment. They're thriving in their um, uh, recovery. And they know that if they're struggling, I mean, dad has struggled here and there, but he knew where to go to say, okay, I had an oopsie instead of I screwed up. I had an oopsie. Can you help me pick pick me up and get me where I need to be? And that's our, I guess, our care model, our, our just help people. You know, and as a foster parent, so I'm on the other side and oh my goodness. Yes, that is like, that is it. That is, that is literally it. It is exactly how it's supposed to go is you are, you are fostering this child that you are doing. Yes. But you also have like a first family and that first family is like, I mean, that's, that's the world to this little child. And, you know, as, as a child and the other side of foster care is that like, if you, and mm -hmm, this is the part I don't like is that most foster children only see their birth parents for like an hour a week. So the rest of the time they're bonding with this family. So then when they are removed, now we have a second trauma in this child's life. And it's like, you know, there's got to be some kind of balance where, you know, the, the foster family and the birth family are together more. And thankfully in our County, we meet the birth parents very fast. And I mean, we've had like birth parents come over and do um, dinner and bath time and parties. I, and, I mean, that's like what we do in our county. I, I just assumed that was everywhere. Um, we didn't really have an option if we wanted to meet the parents. Um, and we knew that going in when we took the classes and things like that, like we knew. Um, so I, oh my goodness. I mean, when you were telling me, like, I just got chills because I'm like, that's, that's people that get it. Like get the situation, yeah. you know, that you're trying to reduce as much as possible. The second trauma that's going to come to this child by keeping them close to their first family. Um, and so I would love to see that change in New York. I don't know, you know, what has to happen, but an hour a week is not enough to bond with your child, you know, and if that child goes home, we had a child for a year and a half. And I mean, I was mom, you know, and, and it was hard on him. It was very hard on him. And so uh, thankfully, especially towards the end, we were able to have the parents over and they were spending more and more time with him, um, which was awesome, but you know, it's, it's, it's sad. Um, yeah. So and you hope that if we can change just everyone's thoughts in the world and understanding all the same that it's the best for the baby and the baby, we're doing what's best for the baby. And yes, it's gonna it may make us all uncomfortable, but it's not really if it what's best for the baby doesn't like, who cares if you're uncomfortable, you know, uncomfortable meeting someone that's struggling with 
you know, fentanyl use. Okay. Yeah. But what's best for your baby is for you to get comfortable and to be able to help parent together. And you don't need to judge. You're just there for the baby. And um, I see little steps, you know, little bits and pieces. We get there. Um, And for this family was the right thing. And it did work. I, I kind of don't understand why it took 19 months to get it to where it did. I don't, especially when that mom hadn't used since day three in Hushabai. Um, But I didn't know all of everything that was going on, I'm sure. But uh, I do see that they're thriving. And here at Hushabai, we see families that eyes that they're going, there is no way. And Three weeks later, they'll come in and they're not gray anymore and they're nice and pink. And we're we're like, oh my gosh, you look good. What are you, you know, where are you? And, you know, because we'll get them connected with treatment, but we don't always know that they stay in treatment or what's worked for them this time or where they really are. Um, We have that follow-up, but as much as they want us to be in that. So, um. I just, I think families look a lot different to everyone. And instead of just saying, this is just the family system, we all just need to be open and realize that, that, that they always look different and being okay with that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Well, um, oh, Tara, this is, so I'm, I'm new to this whole podcasting thing, but this was incredible. This was just incredible. Your vision, you know, your, your heart just all the things that you are able to implement. I, is this a national program or is it just like one, can it be a national program? Can we do that? We're, we're trying, we're trying to, you know, it's, it, we're the first program of its kind having um, true family services. So having, we have our nursery, our toy blood nursery where babies go through the withdrawal process instead of the NICU. Then also under the same roof, we have it when the parents come and stay. They don't have to stay, but when they're here, we have behavioral health services available to them so they can get support here. Otherwise, if it's a higher level of care, then we're we're using our community resources. We really want to keep in our lane. You know, we do this part really, really well. But if someone needs additional services, okay, let's use that. You can still use Hushabai. But let's use that as an adjunct or us being an added on service, whatever that is. Um, but we're the only place in the country that does that right at the moment that I know. There's other places that are trying to do very similar care models. Um, some, some, you know, will do um, baby kind of respite care after the NICU. So they've went through that, that really hard NICU process and then they're staying and and almost every every program that I'm hearing is kind of changing but a few it's like respite for baby but then if mom wants to be engaged maybe we're going to work with department of child safety and be able to get them unified um all of it is funding is always an issue and licensure and every state is completely different um you know, here in Arizona, we're under Medicaid, and and that's how we get reimbursed. Um, Lily's place might, they might be med- Medicaid, but there's a place, Bridget's Path, that's under child welfare. 
and and you go okay so that's how you're getting reimbursed every program is a little well we're quite a bit different but all with the same mission of let's do what's right and get these these babies the care that they need wow well i have to say thank you for this conversation and i think our listeners are going to say thank you because it's eye-opening it's encouraging um and I just, I think that everything that is happening there is spot on, you know, as a seasoned foster mom, spot on, like it could not get any better. Lord, I thank you for Tara. I thank you for Hushabai Nursery. I pray that the vision of this facility goes far and far reaching as the mothers in this country need hope and healing. I pray for the mothers that are entering treatment I ask that you help them to be strong for their babies, and I pray as Tara fights the good fight that you will give her all the strength that she needs. It is in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.